hello, and thank you for joining the Dr. Whisperer podcast. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am the Dr. Whisperer, and I am so happy that you chose this podcast to listen to when there are so many choices out there. If you are enjoying the podcast, please consider writing a review or typing one, shall I say, and sharing it with somebody who might benefit or enjoy. Thanks so much for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Sharon Feckety. I am also the Dr. Whisperer and many other things. Uh, one thing I am not is a host that is going to do all the talking. And with that, I would like to introduce Dr. Laura Purdy. Say hello to the audience, please. Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening in today. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have this conversation. First, let me tell you all, I don't always read the bio, but anytime I have a woman power badass on my show, I want to make sure everybody knows who the hell she is. Okay. So Dr. Laura Purdy is a board certified family medicine physician, wrapping up 14 years as an officer in the U.S. Army. Thank you. Laura started working in telemedicine in 2016 when everybody thought it was a farce. As a full-time physician, it became medical director of MD Live. After MD Live, Laura became one of the regional medical directors of HIMS and HERS, which I'm very interested in hearing more about, and entered the telehealth industry gig economy style. Laura's worked for dozens of virtual health companies across the industry and consults and co-founded two health telehealth companies and just a plain old badass. So we're going to talk about the business of medicine. There's going to be no mansplaining here today. And if you are a man listening, I hope you hear this loud and clear. You don't need to mansplain to me or to Dr. Laura Purdy. So thank you for being here today. Let's hear about you. First of all, thank you, of course, for your service. Um, I am just in awe. um, And I love that you are a female physician. So thank you for all the work that you do. And just why don't you give us a little insight as to who you are? You are in one of my favorite cities, Nashville, Tennessee. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you? the, the you that's not the doc. Happy to do it. So I, I was actually raised, we'll take it all the way back. We'll go all the way back. Right. So I was raised in Southern Kentucky and Nashville was the nearest big city. So mm-hmm. I actually feel like I'm from here. I feel like I've come back home after all of this, you know, two decades of travel and living all over the country, which is what happens when you're in the military. Um, but so about me when I'm not being a doctor, so it's kind of interesting, you know, medicine was my, was my second career, um, or was my backup plan is what I tell people. And so I always was a, a musician and an artist and more of the artsy type of girl. I was a professional pianist, wow. seeing, and so there was this whole, uh, identity and this whole life and this whole trajectory with like music school auditions and all this stuff that 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 had to do with performing arts theater musical theater um, playing the piano all of that and when I changed my career path to go to medicine everybody was totally shocked so if you take away the doctor all of that is still there I go to the theater all the time my kids are you know do music and take lessons and there's always singing and dancing and I I listen to music all the time. I play the piano. I have four kids. So 
whenever they leave the house, I'll hop down and like play a little bit while nobody's crawling on me. Um, (laughs) I have friends who still are in the, in that industry. And so if I, if I ever find out that anybody's in a show, I'll like clear my whole schedule to go watch them. And so I'm a huge, huge patron of the arts and I just, I love it. I love that. I love, love, love that. I hope that you bring this into your world of medicine. It's so funny. I want to tell you that I have, so I ran a pediatric office. Um, I said, I wasn't going to talk a lot, but now we're going to chit chat just for a moment. And um, one of the reasons I took that job, um, because I came from uh, New York in in adult medicine, it was multi-specialty. And I'm like, oh, pediatrics, I don't know. And he was, he said, well, one of the things I promise we'll always do is play name that tune every day. And I was like, sold, I'm in. And so he was very musically inclined and we used to sing and he would play piano. I was a wedding singer back in the day. And I just love, there's so many doctors that I know that really have a great ability for music and instruments. It's, um, it's incredible. So I'm happy to hear that you have four kids that you know, kind of keep that fire burning with you. That's awesome. And you couldn't be in a better place than Nashville to be a lover of music. Yeah. Nashville is incredible. I, at any given time. So, so, and whenever friends come to town and people come to visit, that's what we look for is concerts, artists, shows, and somebody could tell me they're coming next week and we could find tickets to something awesome, you know, something great that you could come to Nashville and see. So Nashville's an incredible town, whether it's sports, arts, music, um, museums, culture, history, restaurants, food's amazing. There's, or, you know, like more like the party scene, you have the strip with all the little neon lights and the Mm -hmm. bachelorettes like pedaling around town on those mobile bars going woo (laughs) and wearing cowboy hats. There's something for everybody in Nashville. So it feels like home. And I, I feel like I'm from here. I feel like I came back home after living um, everywhere. So I, I love to travel. That's in there too. I lived in Hawaii. I lived in DC, mm-hmm. Georgia, obviously Kentucky, Indiana. Um, did I say North Carolina, Maryland? My husband lived in Korea. We, we've lived in so many different places and Nashville just feels like home. And I think it always will. That's amazing. I'm so, I love Nashville. We're kind of shared before I hit record that we're coming back. Well, we're going to Gatlinburg for Thanksgiving, but we're going to Nashville this uh, August to see OAR. I just remembered my husband's favorite band is OAR. And um, yeah, we're going to see them. I think it's like his ninth yeah. time. But um, anyway, so let's talk about the business of medicine for just a moment. I, you know, not that I prefer to talk about music, but you know, sometimes when you're in the healthcare industry, it is exciting to talk about other things sometimes. But um, I do really have a great appreciation for what you're doing. I work with a doctor in Bradenton that has also been doing telepsychiatry for many, many years before anybody realized how this was going to be the kind of new way that we did medicine. And um, I remember I started working with him before the pandemic and he really had a hard time with (laughs) encouraging people that this was not a farce that he was a real doctor practicing real medicine. He was just innovating in a way that he foresee, how do you say foresee in past tense? Foresaw? I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. Had foreseen? I don't know. There you go. Look, if I'm stumping a doctor, I don't feel so silly. But um, (laughs) I really think that it's an amazing um, way. So so you were in the military as a full-time physician 
and then became director of MD Live. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so great question. And I can see how that would sound insane and entirely undoable. But I was a hospitalist. So I did several jobs mm -hmm. in the military every two yeah. to three years. Typically, you change geographic locations and or jobs or sometimes both. And so I had a geographic location and a job change from North Carolina to Tennessee to Fort Campbell, which is in northern, northern Tennessee. It's like an hour north of Nashville. So I was a hospitalist. And the way that it works as a hospitalist, if you're not in the military, is seven on, seven off, seven on, seven off. In the military, you'll chuckle at this, um, grown adults not allowed to have more than four days off in a row because that's not proper accountability. So our schedule was a um, very fun and encouraging and, and energy instilling four on four off, three on three off, alternating days and nights. Wow. Uh, it was uh, wild. So anyways, I had two weeks a month that I essentially wasn't working where, mm -hmm. you know, cause those were my day, days off. And I, like a lot of female physician entrepreneurs, cannot, I don't idle well. And so <laughs> right. I said, well, you know, what am I going to do? What am right. I doing this off time? And I had a buddy, a colleague who was working at MD Live. He said, you should apply. They take military people. At that time, it was really okay to have a single license, which we could talk about that. But in the individual business of medicine, like if I, as a physician going into telehealth, want to be a marketable business myself, uh, like, mm -hmm. a, like an asset, I need to have a lot of licenses. But at that time, I only had one. So um, they took me and it was phone and video consults. And on my off days or on maternity leave, I had a child during that time too. I would just crank out these calls 40 or 50 a day. It was nuts. And I, like I doubled my salary pretty quickly, just working mm -hmm. on my off days, um, not actually like equaled, but literally doubled, like Double Amazing. my mm -hmm. military salary working technically part-time, you know, with by that time, probably five or six state licenses. And so, um, and at that time, MD Live was growing and they were looking at doing FTEs and my workload that I was pulling on my days off. And it was actually right after maternity leave. I worked so much, which probably wouldn't surprise you after you've no. talked to me for five minutes. Like, yeah, you seem like somebody who'd work like a dog on maternity leave, but you know, what are you going to do? Baby sleeps all the time. So, um, so they said, Hey, we want to do a pilot program. You're already working full-time hours. How about if we, you know, do you want to try it? And I'm going to give, I'm going to give a shout out to my girlfriend, whose name is Alicia, another female entrepreneur. She's not a physician, but she is a, just an incredible medical operator and she understood the value. And I think this is important to talk about in the business of medicine, understanding the value that people, that, that people on your team can actually possess and being able to see what they could do and instilling that confidence in them, but also not having expectations. So she said to me, I think you can do this. You're already doing this. Let's give it a try. And if it doesn't work, we will immediately move you back to 1099, no harm, no foul, like that you can't lose here because we're going to take care of you no matter what. Mm. And so shout out to my excellent good friend, Alicia, for, Yay, you know, Alicia. having that confidence in me. So I'm going to have her listen to this because <laughs> that was important. That was important. And I've taken yeah. that skill forward with me in people that I've seen potential in, you know, to help, to help them have that courage. So 
So I said yes. And I, I gave it a try knowing that I really couldn't fail because if it didn't work out, we would just switch back. And so it worked great. Actually, I was working on my days off or nights, weekends after after work. Hospital is kind of too busy to, to multitask in, but um, but it worked. And so and then after eight or nine months, they were like, well, hey, do you want to be a manager? Like, do you want to be in charge of these other doctors? Because we'd already proved the concept that mm-hmm. you could have FTEs, like a full, you know, a full-time equivalent, which is like 40 or 50 calls a day. And so they said, well, how about we, you be in charge of them and then they'll kind of be in your little pod and then you can mentor and help these folks grow. And so, um, so we did and it worked really well. And I think I was there for a total of two or three years and it was, it was phenomenal. And it was an excellent uh, introduction to kind of, I'll say old school, old school telehealth, because this is before COVID and there's been a lot of innovation that's Mm -hmm. happened over the last like six or seven years, but especially since the pandemic, but that was like my introduction into old school telemedicine. Wow. So, you know, it's so um, fascinating listening to you say you have four kids. I do have four kids and the oldest is eight. Wow. Okay. I have one stepson that just turned 18 and I'm like really proud that I did that 50% of the time, you know, I just can't even imagine and being a business owner and, and all that goes uh, with it. So what a great opportunity to be able to be pregnant or be on maternity leave uh, to just have a child, to not want to leave the child, to continue breastfeeding. I mean, I, I remember when um, the docs at my last practice that I ran you know, we're having babies and I would feel so bad because they felt this horrible, you know, oh my God, I'm going to be detached from my child. And they would be pumping in the office. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way. And this was certainly a better way. Right. I mean, it's terrible. So I did that my first two. So I had all four of my kids while I was in the military. And the first one was my last year of residency. I'll set the stage for you. Imagine this. My husband and I were dual military, right? So we, I don't even think we've touched on that yet. So him and I served concurrently, both officers. We were geographically stationed in different locations for the first three and a half years of our marriage. Um, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We went to college together in 2003. So we were, you know, it, it was, we were really good friends. We had a phenomenal relationship and it was fine and we knew it would be okay, but it was very obnoxious. <laughs> and so I had my first child in the last year of that. So the first nine months of her life and all of the pregnancy, I was living alone in a two bedroom apartment and shout out to my mom who came and lived with me for a month, but it was a six week maternity leave and back to work. Um, yeah. And so, and so, and it was all of that, like the pumping and the 12 hour days, cause I was in residency and, you know, it was every day, 12 hour days, babysitter, just, just wild. And, and one parent. And, um, by then I think I was finished with deliveries. Like I didn't have any OB patients anymore, but there was weekend shifts. It was nuts. Second child, same thing. I was in an operational unit, which means I was working in a military unit, not in a healthcare facility. So doc coming in to, you know, sitting in her office and pumping five times a day was not something that anybody necessarily wanted to hear about. You're right. <laughs> right before, you know, and this was right before they actually really worked on those regulations to have 
lactation rooms for women, mm. they do now. And the regulations actually say that the commanders must, they don't say could or may, it says must, like they will allow women to be able to have time to pump. But back then there wasn't. Um, but by the time I got to the fourth child, I was on my way out. And so it was the first time where I didn't have to go back to work. Yeah. I was done in the hospital. I was done in the office. I was done in the clinic. I didn't pump a single time with that kid. And that was my plan. I don't ever want to go back to work. I don't ever want to have to pump and save. And it was a, I'm so thankful to have had the opportunity to do that. Mm. It was incredible and a starkly different, um, even just family environment. So sure. different with mom, not leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning every day, but like going up to her office at nine. Right. Yeah, so no, it makes, and I think a lot of us felt what that can be like through this pandemic, but you got to feel what it can be like even before that, which is incredible, you know, to know that there's options for physicians who want to have families who want to stay home with their kids and want to continue being entrepreneurial, just business badasses and keep going. And, um, I think it's, it's wonderful. I really do. I, um, you know, I had to leave my house today. <laughs> I had to be in Tampa right this morning. I had to leave. I had a seven thirty event in the morning and I, I had to go to one yesterday too. And, you know, it's kind of like, we're all coming back into this world. And I thought driving, like, I don't want to leave my dog for that long. <laughs> You know, I really love the environment of being able to run business, you know, run the household, take care of the dog. You know, it's just a more flexible, I don't know, it just seems so much more realistic, especially for women, I would say, raising children, you know, really and truly. And um, in the medical field, it's so demanding. I mean, I've watched so many doctors through my career just have to leave their babies and it's it's heartbreaking to watch. All right. So this is not, you know, uh, the doctor whisperer talks about maternity. This <laughs> we're gonna get back to the business of medicine. Back on track. So um, so you've worked for dozens of virtual health companies across the industry. Um, I, I'm interested about this, the regional medical directors of hims and hers. Tell me about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a misnomer because that's corporate. And okay. corporate practice of medicine laws require that there has to be a medical group that's providing the care. So yes. I, so let me give my like legal disclaimer. I do not, nor have I ever worked for hims and hers because that is a corporate entity and I am a doctor. Um, but what I do and what I have done is um, the, we could say like PC owner or the head of the medical group, more specifically one of the medical groups. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're called U Health. And, um, it's just the medical group that provides the medical care for that company. Right. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we talk about business. So I I'm going to, I'll talk about this for a minute because as I've consulted with or encountered little, you know, small telehealth companies or even bigger telehealth companies that want to make them make sure they have regulatory compliance corporate practice of medicine laws usually jump out of nowhere and catch them completely off guard mm. and can derail a launch of a medical business for months. Yeah. Um, but the law in a lot of states, not every state, and 
Um, my disclaimer is I am not an attorney, so this is not legal advice, <laughs> right? <laughs> but this is what I've learned. This mm -hmm. is what I've learned is that, um, corporations. So if you wanted to open up drwhisper.com tomorrow, mm -hmm. corporate, that is not a, um, physician owned medical group. It's a corporation. And so it's not legal for drwhisper.com to hire physicians directly as a W-2 or a 1099. In some states you can 1099 and that's okay. But the most conservative way to do it is just to not, not do that. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to either create or you have to have a MSA, like a management services agreement um, or become the management services organization for a medical group. A lot mm -hmm. of companies choose to create their own, put, find a doctor that they want to be at the head of it but there are medical groups out there that will contract for you and just provide all the services. Um, but you as drwhisper.com would run all the marketing, all the branding, you know, the, the HR, the taxes, the logistics, the tech, the dev, everything mm -hmm. that doesn't involve directly the delivery of care. You can do that acquisition, all that PR, but then the actual practice of medicine is, is done by the medical group that is linked to you through a management services agreement. And what that does is it essentially uh, protects you or the corporation from exerting undue influence over the practice of medicine, which is not legal, right? So it allows the doctors to retain their medical autonomy to legally practice medicine without the influence of corporate. So that's where that comes in. A lot of times I'll say the term hims and hers, but I do not um, work for that corporation. Mm -hmm. I work for the medical group that provides the medical services there. Hey, quick interruption on this amazing podcast, but we have to tell you about our awesome sponsor, Thai Technology. They are so cool and they're here in Tampa Bay. If you're a Tampa Bay listener, Thai Technology is the best voice over IP business phone service company out there. How do I know this? I used to work in telecom before I work with doctors. That's right. So I know me a good phone system when I see it. Plus, they are integrated with Zoom. They are the only ones that are integrated with Zoom. And if you mention this podcast or you mention the Facebook show, they're going to hook you up with three months for free. Follow them on Facebook. And on Instagram, Thai Technology Rocks. Gotcha. You know, I was thinking about, um, I have a physician, an allergist that um, opened up his own practice in the pandemic. <laughs> Lucky him. Um, but he wanted to do majority telehealth. And um, he was in school at the time as well, uh, getting his MBA um, in entrepreneurship um, in business. So, you know, that's a good thing and a bad thing for somebody like me, because I'm like, you want it. It's very difficult to run a business and run everything else. See patients, hire staffing, right? All of that. That's why we hire experts. But I'm thinking about his situation in particular, he had a very hard time with the telehealth and getting the right company. And because he's such a researcher and so entrepreneurial, you know, he really was digging down, but man, he could have used talking to somebody like you during that time or to utilize the services that you provide, because you've already gone through all of the, 
ins and outs and all of the legalities and restrictions and things that you wouldn't even think of, right? In terms of opening up a telehealth practice. Yeah, you nailed it on the head. So that that brings me up to another important uh, tenant of the business of telemedicine, right? Is that a lot of companies will find, I would say notable, reputable consultants to try to work for them or even medical directors or chief medical officers that come from somewhere prestigious in the brick and mortar. Like I live in Nashville. So maybe somebody who was chief of something at Vanderbilt or Centennial because in in the brick and mortar world, a nice resume and you know notable institutions says something, but there is actually little to no overlap in the um, the operations of the practice of the the actual medicine and the patient care and the delivery doesn't change. How to practice medicine is the exact same you know, the standards of care and the gold standards of treatment and how we arrive at treatment, the practice of medicine doesn't change, but the operations and from the business standpoint of how you execute that function is entirely different. And a good consultant or a bad consultant can really empower or completely destroy a telehealth company. Oh my God, totally. Oh my God. Yes. I have a doctor in Texas that was reached out to me recently and, um, you know, had heard about me from another physician and what he was doing was not in my wheelhouse. And I, you know, I thought, wow, he, he has no idea. I could, you know, I could say I could do that and charge him a ton of money. I could never do that. Right. Like it's not who I am as a human being. But I know how often that happens because, you know, people say they can do something and it's not their expertise. You know, I purposely have an accountant and a bookkeeping company and somebody to take care of all the digital media and producing this show because that is not my strength. And the same thing goes in business. And what I see all the time are physicians getting hosed basically, um, by, by consultants that they work with. Um, and you know, there's, of course there's some great ones. I just think that everybody has to do their research and just like everything else, just like how most people get to a physician. When you ask somebody who's a great primary care doc that I should go to, you're going to go to people you trust and your family and your friends, word of mouth, you know? So it's really, really important that you align um, with the right people, you know, because your circle of trust in business is really everything in my world. And I like to bring that circle of trust to the professionals that I work with because, well, because nobody did that for me. <laughs> no, I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. The alternative is learning the hard way yeah. and learning the hard way is so painful and unnecessary and very expensive. Very expensive. So expensive, especially when it comes to operations and systems and technology and legal and business structure and corporate ownership. You do not have time to get that wrong. It's just not worth it. So, okay. Well, that leads me to you being in business now. Um, How, you know, I love my docs that what I, I always do with the visual. So if you're watching, you can see me. I've done this many, many times like Wonder Woman, but breaking out of corporate. Okay. Because a lot of the people, the doctors that I work with um, have left corporate 
and want to start their own practices. And private practice is very, very different. Working as a hospitalist, you have all of the admin support you could ever want. You don't have to worry about scheduling. You have to worry about technology. You don't have to worry about hiring. But when you go out on your own as an entrepreneurial physician, it is not easy and it's not meant for the weak. So can you tell us about what that has been like for you? And I'm sure you've made wonderful mistakes because all those mistakes you won't make again. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll set a little bit of background there too. I was raised, my dad was a phenomenal businessman Mm. and I think he did have an entrepreneurial spirit, although I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really old enough to know how to ask those questions, but he did, you know, start a couple businesses and I watched him do that. And even in high school, sitting around at the dinner table, we would talk about management problems and we would talk about logistics problems and, um, like reducing waste. And I saw him take lean six Sigma and he was doing his MBA when I was in high school. And so I feel, and that was before I ever took a medical class. Like I didn't have a single science class my senior year in high school. It was all, it was all music, right? right. So, so you were taking on Nashville. I was, I was going to Belmont and I was going to be a professional accompanist and that was going to be that. And so, um, but in the background of all of that, I was getting a business education by apprenticeship. You know, we would go to company meetings and he was the director of the plant. And so I would see my dad in this like big boss, you know, position. And I watched him cut ties with not in a bad way, but in an appropriate career move uh-huh. way with the place that he worked for 20 years and Hollis halfway felt like halfway across the country. It was really just a state away, but you know, six hours is a long drive when you're a kid sure. just to get just for business, right. For business. And we would talk about things like, it's not personal, it's business. If you want to have your job, you need to do your job. If you don't want to be replaced, don't be replaceable. Those were the foundational ethical principles of business that I feel like have been instilled into my life since I was old enough to even be able to understand them. Mm. So I've always been a businesswoman. I just never thought I would start a business. Mm. I never thought I would do that. So um, as I as I moved out of, as I was starting to move out of the military and thinking about what that was going to look like for me. I had been institutionalized for 15 years and I really had no desire, like the, like almost the most extreme, you know, level of institutionalization you could imagine is to be in the military. Um, Maybe being in prison is like, like the most next extreme one, but being in the military is a pretty extreme form of institutionalization. Sure. And like, I just got my ears pierced in August because you can, you you know, like, sure. sterling studs every day, but, um, who's going to do that? You know, some people do, it wasn't me. So, um, so I, I tried to look at myself as a business to say, what can all of my streams of revenue be so that I don't have to institutionalize myself again to go work for a hospital system or to go work for an urgent care or to go open up a practice. I, I had no desire to even do that. And so I started looking at what are for if me, if I am a corporation, if I am a business as a person, 
what do I need in order to have lots of streams of revenue to not be dependent on the ebb and flow of telehealth? I knew I wanted to work from home. I knew I wanted to do telemedicine. I knew I wanted to get 50 state licenses so that I could be marketable, which was a business tactic. That's a marketing tactic for me to get all 50 states. It makes myself more attractive to companies that are trying to hire. I'm trying to hire somebody right now that, you know, has to be Florida licensed. And I keep getting these CVs that they are not licensed in Florida. And then it's like, no, we can't wait. You have to do that, especially today in 2022, we're doing telehealth. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, it's not that difficult. I'm Look, I'm not a doctor, so I shouldn't say it's not that difficult, but I'm assuming if you can get 50, people would grant out. It's expensive. It takes time. You got to get 3000 fingerprints, it feels like, and 74,000, you know, letters of recommendation from the same three people, it feels like, but it's, it's doable. It takes time. It's expensive. You know, it probably costs 25 grand to do it, but it's expensive, but it, it pays for itself. Um, but so as rather than thinking about like, Oh, I want to start a business. And what does that look like? My mentality has always been, I am a business. What are the streams of revenue that I can find that are within my skill set and what sort of infrastructure do I need to be able to support that? Mm-hmm. So over the last few years, I have transitioned from using the word jobs to clients because it's confusing for me to say I have 50 jobs. People look at me like my head fell off. But if I say, well, imagine it's like a, cl- it's like a consulting firm and I have 50 clients. And they mm-hmm. say, okay, well, that makes more sense, right? And um, so, so over the years, I have worked on bringing in clients, looking for clients that, that have a need that I might be able to fill. And then around me, I've built a support structure of assistance, of executive assistance, um, licensing assistance, people who help me fill out forms and documents, and then I sign and return people that do credentialing for mm-hmm. me if I need that to be done. There's this whole infrastructure of, uh, I have nurses, I have a virtual primary care clinic, there's nurses that help me with that. Um, you know, with this just exactly like it would look in a clinic, right? Mm-hmm. These are all of the same players that I would have if I opened up a primary care clinic tomorrow. They're mm-hmm. just all working from home and so am I. Execute. So that means they're happier. They're happier. I have a pharmacy liaison who all she does all day is call pharmacies to figure out what they need because they'll, you know, clarifications or refill requests or the same exact thing, prior authorizations. I got a team of people that do that for me, but there it's for multiple clients. There's not, you know, they come from multiple sources and it's, it doesn't just benefit me and it doesn't just benefit the people that work for me. It benefits the the folks that I'm servicing, my clients or the jobs, whatever you want to call it, because they are able to get everything that they need in one place in a timely manner. And it it all works really well, but it's, but it's evolved over time with, of not me thinking about like, how do I make a business? It's how do I become a business? Right. Me personally. And it's it's been really fun. So you love it. Do you love it? Did you hear me? I want, no, you cut out there just a little bit. Yeah. I absolutely 100% love it. I could not be happier. I, I can't even explain it. I I get to be home. I get to spend time with my kids. We get to do whatever, like we're going on a field trip on Monday to 
the science of candy making at the museum in town. And I can just do it. I can walk away. I don't have to ask. I don't have to, you know, request my commander three weeks in advance to sign a form that lets me not be at work that day and then sweat for five days while I wonder if they're going to approve it. Right. Um, <laughs> it's phenomenal. But at the same time, it, it is vastly more lucrative than working in a hospital or in a clinic or incomparably more lucrative. I, it would be a massive pay cut to go work at a hospital full-time or at an urgent care full-time or even in a practice full-time. And so I've come to a point where I see that as very limiting. Those types of jobs are very limiting and they're stifling and they put non-compete clauses on doctors, which is so inappropriate. Like they can't really legally tell doctors what to do with their medical licenses. I'm of the opinion to say that. And I, I don't believe that any business has the right to tell a doctor. I mean, as long as it's not a crime, right? I mean, don't please really the it. doctor's office that I was at, they wanted yeah. me to have a, um, I think it was a 60 mile yeah, uh, restrictive covenant. I'm like, well, that, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. Inappropriate. It's that's so inappropriate. inappropriate. If you yes. just treated me better or paid me more, maybe I would have stayed. Um, appropriate. Not yeah, non-solicit, that's all fine. We can non-disclose it. We can non-solicit. We can non-disclose. We can non-circumvent. We can do all kinds of different things. But um, telling a doctor, you know, how and when, where they can and can't practice medicine. Yeah. You know what? This is really great for, I, I hope to, and maybe I'll put this in the title of the show. I think that this is a really great, show for people that are in uh, school, in medical school to listen to, you know, and my, my greatest uh, accomplishment one day will be to go into medical schools and to teach just a small, tiny 12 week course, maybe about the business of medicine, because nobody learns about it. Um, you know, you, you, you might take a few classes or whatever, but I'm sure nobody ever realizes what goes into actually running a business when it comes to medicine and, and having physicians in 2022 realize what is available to them today versus what it was like five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, this wasn't even an option that would be lucrative. So um, everybody's used to telehealth now. Some people prefer it, me being one of them. And right, I mean, I remember the day when in the beginning of the pandemic, when my stepson had an issue, um, he was on Accutane and we called the dermatologist and said, you know, they wanted us to come in. I said, well, this was the beginning, beginning of the pandemic. I said, there's literally no way we're coming in. Um, you're just checking him out. So you've got FaceTime there. Anybody got Skype? What's happening there? Are you guys going to, you can, we can do this together. And that's what they did. They did FaceTime with us and they never, they never grasped onto the telehealth because it was so old school there. So what, by the time they had asked for us to come back and the, you know, nurse practitioner spent a whole three minutes with us and build us the same amount. So they were making more money. They could have stacked all of these patients on, you know, me, the business person was thinking, what are you guys idiots here? And they never took it and went with it and said, you know what, we're going to embrace telehealth. They went back to seeing patients and they don't do telehealth. They said, oh no, we don't do that. Well, those are the dinosaurs that are going to die today, Dr. Purdy. They are the, I say those are out, those are archaic 
mentalities that that will eventually move on and be removed from the industry. But the fact of the matter is you can't even use the word scale when you talk about brick and mortar. It is literally impossible to scale a brick and mortar practice. And what happens is you fill up, you stop taking patients and they go somewhere else. You lose that business. But the second that you find a way, you as the business owner or the physician or the whoever it is, the, the second that you find a way to effectively leverage telehealth, because some some people try to do it and they still don't figure it out, but but effectively leverage telehealth, you have unlocked the door to be able to scale, which means grow and have more revenue and bring in more people and have more patients and have a wider sphere of influence. And it also pandemic proofs you. I mean, we have no idea. I, I would hope that what happened in 2020 would never, ever happen again. And that we would never find ourselves in a situation like that ever. But I can't say that that would never happen. And I think clinics and, and all healthcare facilities, all businesses in general can learn from that and find a way to leverage digital solutions because that is how you pandemic proof yourself and scale. And scale. And, and people are happier this way. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm recruiting right now for a social media manager. And I asked the client if there was remote options. He said, no, 100% no. And I said, well, you're going to have a really hard time finding somebody. Like, that's the truth. Like, if this is not how the world is working anymore. People realize how many opportunities are out there for them. I mean, my employee right now is at home. I don't know what she's doing. I, you know, I, I know she's where I yeah. love her. I don't, I trust her. You know, you hire great people. They stay with you forever, but you have yeah. to allow them to, to grow and flourish in the year that we're living in. Right. Yes. Yes. 100%. I'll tell you my executive assistant right before this, she said, I'm going to go out to dinner or lunch with my daughter. Is that okay? And my grandson, and don't worry, I'll be back right after. And I'll be, you know, chipping away. And I said, sure, please oh. go have lunch with your daughter and your grandson. That sounds fantastic. Right. And she will, she'll love it. She'll feel so happy and she will be working so hard this afternoon. And she'll never want to, and she'll never want anything else. No. No. Give people actually what makes them happy. Poof. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, Laura, I think I could talk to you all day, but unfortunately the attention span of the world that we live in, in 2022 is short. <laughs> so I'd love to have you back sometime in the future. And we could do more talking about women physicians running businesses in the year that we live in. That would be my great pleasure. I would love it. I could talk about that all day. I love it. Well, thank you so much. And we'll have all the information about your wonderful company in the show notes and following you on LinkedIn and Twitter. I saw that you were on Twitter and I thought, I'm not going there. I don't tweet, but I am a twit. Yeah. We all have our own platforms that we love. Yeah. So thank you for being here today. Enjoy Tennessee. I miss it terribly. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review or share it with somebody you know and care about that would benefit from listening. But more importantly, if you are thinking about advertising your business in the year 2021, sponsoring a podcast is major. 44% of people pay more attention to advertising on podcasts than any other media. 
and 37% agree that advertising on a podcast is actually the best way to reach them. 70% have considered a new product or service after hearing an ad on a podcast. And I'm one of those people. And this is all according to Edison Research. Don't believe me, believe the research. So if you're interested in sponsoring, give us a shout.